welcome to church. I'll be inviting the worship team back so we can press into worship after the message. I'm going to have that call to surrender our lives to our King. Well, today we are starting a brand new series called Strapped, and I want to get right into it. We're going to look at what the Bible says about how to manage our money. Now, much of the material and the way that I'm going to present it actually comes from Craig Grishel at Life Church. So if you really like it, you can thank me for finding this great resource. I will take the pat on the back. And if you don't like it, well, then you can blame Craig Grishel because it's his stuff. All right? Now, I want to get your participation for a moment. How many of you would say, a little more money would make life a little better? Raise your hand. Be honest with me. All right, keep your hands up there because I'm asking a second question. How about, I don't have enough money. I would love a little more. Raise them up. Just tell me. Come on. Be honest. All right. So, oh, many of you are very satisfied. Good for you. Half of us aren't. So, uh, Dave Ramsey, who is a great teacher on money, he says this. Money is fun if you got some. Right? Um... The problem is a lot of people don't got some. Now, a lot of people are strapped. And unfortunately, one of the reasons that some of us are strapped is because so many of us have done stupid stuff with our money. We've done stupid things with it. From getting suckered by get-rich gimmicks, I know lots of people in that category, to poor stock investments, to bad internet purchases. Oh my goodness, some of the crap that has come to our front door based on website purchases. My wife has said, never again. So, crazy. We've all done a lot of stupid things. So as we go through this series, uh, one rule is I don't want any of us to feel any guilt about uh, what's happened uh, in our emotional, uh, financial lives. Um, just shake the guilt off. We've done stupid things. We may have felt guilty, but we're not going to over the next couple weeks. So we're just going to shake any guilt off in Jesus' name. And today we're going to start with a foundation, and we're going to talk about the heart, the heart and money. We're going to look at the godly perspective on money, and today is all about the heart. We're also going to get very practical so uh, we're going to let God's word speak to us about the disciplines that will help us to climb out of debt. And thus, the title of today's message, Act Your Wage. All right? How do you like that? That's good, eh? Mm -hmm. Thanks, Emily. Appreciate that. So Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, the borrower, the one who is in debt is a servant to the lender. And many of us know this. We felt this. The Hebrew word translated as servant is the word abed. And it actually means slave. It means in bondage. The borrower who is in debt is a slave. They are in bondage to the one that they owe money to. Now, most of us don't go around saying, oh, I'm a slave to money. Most people don't say that. What they say are statements that kind of imply that reality. What they'll say is, oh, I want to get married to my girlfriend, but we can't afford it. Or something like, uh, well, we'd love to start a family now, or we'd love to have another child, but we can't because we don't have enough money. And what they're saying, without really saying it, is, I'm in bondage. We're strapped. 
And some people might say, well, we'd love to get a bigger home for our growing family, or we've always rented and it's been our dream to own a home, but we can't afford it. Others might say, I hate my job. I would much rather be doing something else, but this pays the bill, so I have to do it. In other words, I can't do what I prefer, or maybe even what God might be calling me to, because I'm strapped, because I'm in bondage. I want to show you some statistics that are quite shocking. The average household debt in Canada in 2016 was 168% of the household income. That means for the average Canadian, they owe about $1.68 for every dollar of income that he or she earns per year after taxes. Think about it. Whatever the average person makes, they owe that much plus 68% on what they make in a year. It's insane that that is the statistic for the average Canadian. And much of that is credit card debt. For those carrying a balance, the average credit card debt is $3,764. That is a lot of debt. Now, Julie and I, we have credit cards, and we pay off our credit card every single month, down to zero. So if the average is almost $4,000, and as credit card users, ours is a zero, that means someone else is, is got $8,000 of credit card. If the average is four grand, we're the zero, that means someone else is eight grand in debt. Lots of debt. I've heard other stats where people are like $15,000 in debt with their credit card. It's crazy. Another one, the average number of Canadians living paycheck to paycheck is 47%. So that means in, in a church our side, size, maybe half of you, if you lost your job or you didn't get paid, it would mean that next week or at the end of the month you couldn't pay your rent or you couldn't pay your mortgage, uh, you couldn't pay your car. You are in big trouble. And it's no wonder people are feeling tension. It's no wonder marriages struggle. You know that money Finances is in the top three things that couples fight about. We live in a world where people are strapped. They feel like they're under a mountain of debt. Like what I did there with the mountains, you know. <laughs> Thanks, Carolyn. We appreciate that laugh there. So, and our world, unfortunately, <laughs> calls that normal. Normal is debt, normal is car payments, normal is credit card payments and student loan payments and house payments, normal is fighting about money, normal is divorcing about money, normal is laying awake at night worrying about money. It is the norm for so many people in our culture. But I love the way that Craig Chriselle puts it. Followers of Jesus are not called to be normal. We are called to be different. We are not like this world. There is a better way, and so we want to look at what God's word says. Now, I, I've taken some slack before. Uh, probably I won't hear. Uh, people said, Pastor Roger, why are we talking about money in the church? Doesn't the church talk about money already too much? No, it has been said that money is one of the most visible measurements of the condition of one's heart. It's one of the best outward measurements of your inward spiritual condition. In fact, scripture is loaded with powerful teachings about 
money. Several of the parables that Jesus told deal directly with money and with possessions. Jesus told many stories that referenced money, that referenced debt, counting the cost, being wise with resources, hoarding. He spoke about that. Generosity, worrying about material things, and the cost of being a disciple. Jesus used financial language a lot. He talked about money using phrases like, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. He knew that the way we treat money and possessions is one of the best outward indicators of the inward spiritual condition of our hearts. And so it's important that Christians talk about money and how we manage it. So we're going to talk about two temptations of money. The first temptation is this. We are tempted to serve money. We may not think so, but Jesus said this. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot. He didn't say you will not. He said you cannot. It's impossible. It can't be done. You cannot serve two masters. Now, most of us would say, well, I don't serve money. I would never serve money. Well, it has been argued that if you've ever bought something you didn't need with money that you didn't have to impress people that you didn't really even like, then perhaps you are serving money. You are under its powers. The false promises that those things would bring satisfaction or prestige or make you feel important or special or happy. It's also been argued that if you've ever hoarded money, you've said, hey, this is my stack, it makes me feel secure, it makes me happy, therefore I will not tithe, I will not give, I will not help out, I will not donate, those types of things, or you didn't give to someone who was in need because this is my money, well then, you may be under the false promises and power of money, and in fact, you are serving money. If you've ever compromised your family, if you've ever neglected your family in pursuit of climbing the ladder, well, I just want to give my children the lifestyle that I never had, and all they want is for you to be around, then perhaps you are serving money. You're under its power, and you don't even know it. That's the crazy thing. That was revelatory for me. I was very convicted under this ministry. We're tempted to serve money. And the second thing is this. We're tempted to love money. Paul told Timothy, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So let's just pause there for a moment. I thought about this this week. Just acknowledge what a powerful statement that is. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money drives human trafficking. The love of money drives the drug trade. The love of money drives gambling. It drives all kinds of evil pursuits and distractions. And Paul went on to say to Timothy, some people eager for money have wandered away. They have wandered away from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We are tempted to love money. It's not a first century problem. Paul was talking about it in the first century. 
It's been a problem all throughout time and history. Now, this is really important. What we have to understand is that money itself isn't good or bad. Money is not the root of all evil. Money is neutral. It's a thing. You can use it for good or you can use it for evil. It's the love of money that's wrong. So there's a lot of people who don't have a lot of money. And they say, well, I can't love money. I don't have much of it. Well, not having it does not necessarily mean that you're not in love with it. Lots of people who love money just don't have it, but they're still consumed with getting it. I know people like this, obsessed with wanting more, and they're jealous, and they're critical. Why? Because they love money. Other people might say, well, rich people, they obviously love money. And again, that is not necessarily true. There are a lot of rich people, and they're just rich because they're good at what they do, and they don't love money. They've just got money. Oh, the people I've known in my days, rich people who were so generous, they just ridiculously giving stuff away that, and it wasn't because they were rich. That's just the way they had always been. Those people, they leverage money. They use money for the kingdom, but money hasn't got them. They got Money. Money is neutral, and how you use it is what matters. Now, people think, well, if I had a little more money, that would solve all my problems. Or if I had a little more money, I would be out of debt. However, and I can't believe the number of people I've seen in this situation, too. If you're in debt when you don't have a lot, guess what's going to happen to you when you do have a lot? You will still be in debt. It, it's a pattern of behavior. It's your trajectory. I know people who have won the lottery and then three years later are back down to zero and in debt because they just don't have the disciplines there. People would say, if I had more money, I'd be more generous. I'm doing okay. I could up my generosity level. Again, what does more do? More just makes you more of what you already are. If you are broke and you're a jerk, then you get more money, you become rich, but you're still a jerk, probably. You just become more of what you already are. Same is true for generosity. Jesus shared that story about the widow, the, the, the widow and her might. You know, if you don't have much money, and you're generous, when you get more money, or if you get more money, what happens to you? You're more generous. It's a magnifier. It makes you more of what you already are. Now, at the beginning of this message, I asked how many of us didn't have enough money. A bunch of us put our hands up. Uh-huh. Um, so I want us to look at this next scripture. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Now, I asked if you didn't have enough money and a little more money would help us, and a bunch of us said yes. But according to Scripture, if we don't think we have enough, then we love money. Ouch. Lean over to your neighbor who raised their hand and said, I gotcha. <laughs> I'll tell you, this was a Craig Rochelle trick. This wasn't me, all right? 
He got me too. I put my hand up. So it was actually very sobering for me to recognize that. Here's the reality. A pile of us are under the power of money and we don't even know it. That's the crazy part. We're under the power and influence of money and we don't know why. It's a heart issue. I was very convicted by this teaching. It's a heart issue. And so when the Lord does that, when he puts his finger on something and, <laughs> and I recognize it's a heart issue, I'm like, okay, Jesus, heart surgery. Do some heart surgery. I'm, I'm open for it. So let's do some heart surgery here. What is generally true in our culture? It's not true all over the world, for sure. But for most people in our part of the world, the problem for us actually isn't an income problem. Most of us, it's not about how much we make. It's about how much we spend. It's about how much we spend. We are lifestyling ourselves into bondage. We're spending more than we make, and that puts us into bondage. And if we are spending more than we make, this acting your wage, that becomes a lifestyle problem. I've included a chart in your program, a shopping list for the average Canadian, and it is ridiculous what we spend our money on as Ontarians, hair grooming. I know it's humid here, but come on, like really? That's what Ontarians spend a pile of their money on? So this is really where I want to help you act your wage. There's this old rule that many successful savers have followed. Now, some of you are going to think, well, that's the craziest rule I ever heard. Doesn't make sense to me, but here it is. The rule is this. If you don't have money to buy the thing that you want, you aren't allowed to buy it. That's the rule. We grew up with that rule. Now, some of you are going, that's crazy. Crazy. What, what did he just say? I don't get it. Explain it to me. Here it is again. If you don't have the money to buy the thing that you want, you're not allowed to buy it. Now, some of you are still like, but wait a minute. Um, can't you just charge it? Oh, no, you can't. The rule is that you actually have to have the money in order to buy something. I want to tell you a story. When we moved from Peterborough to Smith Falls back in uh, 93, um, we moved to the, we bought a house <coughs> in Smith Falls. It was my first pastorate. And uh, the furniture that we had from our first house didn't quite fill the second house. Um, the furniture we had was kind of basement family room type stuff. So that's where it went. So our living room was this new living room to us. And... It didn't have any furniture. So you could imagine, many people would say, well, you just go to the local store, the brick or whatever, and you 0% down and X amount of financing, and, and you put it on credit. No way. That's not the way Julie and I operated. We were going to have an empty living room until we would have the cash in our hand that we could actually uh, pay for it. And it didn't matter how long it took, whether it was three months or six months, however long. 
Julie's mom is a very generous lady who couldn't stand the fact of a, an empty living room. And so our conviction, which she implanted in us, because she's also financially very wise, bothered her enough that, that she did that. And, and uh, so uh, we got a living room furniture way ahead of schedule. Uh, that, that's not my point. Um, <laughs> the point is, our conviction was we wouldn't live with an empty living room until we had the money. In this day and age, though, of 0% down and no payments until 2025, some people think it's crazy. You just furnish your living room. But if you want to get out of debt, you have to get crazy. You have to get crazy in a good way. Crazy the way that some of our parents and our grandparents did it. Did any of you save tinfoil? <laughs> okay, we got a few hands. When my parents were paying off their house mortgage, one of the ways we saved money was by reusing lunch bags. Four kids, lunches. And so, <laughs> this paper bag and the sandwich in wax paper got folded up after lunch every day and got into my back pocket. And I, in all my years of high school, never once tasted cafeteria food. It ne I never spent a dime on cafeteria food. It was a brown bag lunch every day. And that brown bag got used over and over until it was like tissue paper. You know, oh, the joys of a crisp, new brown paper bag <laughs> that was uncreased. And that was one of the crazy ways. That whole reduce, reuse, recycle stuff, oh man, we had that in hand long before the environmentalists and the media got a hold of it. These saving principles actually can set you up for financial health. Now the reality is for some of you, you have had years of digging the hole and you're like, I'm way in there and it's going to take a lot of work. I know that. I know coming out of university with student debt, kind of the stuff you're feeling. So I'm going to tell you right now, if you get crazy like we did, you can get there. And I'm going to explain a little bit more of that. I'll give you an example a little later. What we've got in so many ways in our culture, unfortunately, is a bunch of pretenders. They've got the stuff, but they've also got the debt. They don't really own the stuff, and that is why they're strapped. In fact, scripture identifies this in Proverbs 13, 7. One man pretends to be rich, yet he actually has nothing. So, as I've said before, this just isn't a 21st century problem. Throughout all of history, there have been the haves, the have-nots, and the have-not paid for what they got. You know, they're the pretenders. They're the ones in debt and in bondage. So I want us to finish up this morning with three essential values for us to become unstrapped and debt-free. And this is the crazy that I referenced earlier. Don't be crazy. I mean, don't be normal. Be crazy, okay? Number one, we're going to embrace the value of self-control. Everybody say self-control with me. Self-control. All right. Try it again with a smile on your face. Self-control. It's a good thing. There we go. Proverbs uh, 25, 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken is a man who lacks self-control. If you do not have financial self-control, you become a city 
without walls. You're defenseless to attacks. You are vulnerable to debt. And with no self-control, you end up in trouble. And the problem is with many of us, we battle that self-control. We have this little kid inside of us. You've seen that little kid in the grocery store who wants the candy bar or wants the toy and has a fit and is kicking and screaming. Well, the little kid inside of us does that too. Except for a candy bar, it's more like, oh, that jewelry or that dress or that car or that boat or that vacation or that birthday party or that movie night. And the little kid inside of us says, I want, I want, I want, I want. And we go after it. <laughs> Groeschel, he asked this question. Ladies, do you really need to get your nails done twice a month? <laughs> Yes, if you're out of debt. No, you don't if you're getting out of debt. No, you don't. Someone said yes in his service too. <laughs> Same with this next question for the men. Do you really need to play golf twice a month? Uh, <laughs> you know. No, no, no. When you are getting out of debt, you do not need to go play golf twice a month. It goes on and on. Do you really need a $4 cup of caffeine every single day? No. Does your 12-year-old really need an iPhone 5? No, no, no. Make them suffer. Make them suffer. <laughs> Do you really need a brand new car when it depreciates, you know, 20% as soon as you drive it off the lot? Of course, the answer is no. Now, I'm not saying do not enjoy life. You get out of debt, you buy that car. You get the butt warmers and everything in it. You get one for your mom. You get everything you like. When you're out of debt, you get your nails done as often as you want. You put polka dots on them and sparkles and whatever they do. Guys, you know, when you're out of debt, you play as much golf as you want. But when you're getting out of debt, while you're getting out of debt, that's when you have to have the self-control to say, no, no, no. This is embracing the value of self-control. What we're going to do is this. We are going to say no for a little while so that we can say yes for the rest of our lives. I, an example of Julie and me saving in our early days. Graduate out of um, university. Uh, our firstborn is here. We move back to Peterborough. What we want to do, we're a, we're a newlywed couple. I've been married uh, a year, two years. Uh, ben is here. We want to set up our home. We want our life to start. But we have debt. So, what do we do? My parents say, you can live in our basement for free. Yeah. So, we, we doctor up the basement a bit. Julie lives with her in-laws for two years, and we pay off my student loan, we pay off, we buy a car, we raise enough money to um, have a down payment on a house. So two years of sacrifice, us saying no to our own place and some privacy and stuff led to uh, us saying no in the early days to us being able to say yes the rest of our lives. You know, we, we did an inventory. I, I mean, we've been around for a little while. And we have given away four cars in our lifetime. We said no when we were supposed to so we could say yes 
when God directed us to. And that's the principle I want to share with you. We're going to learn the value of self-control. The second one is this. Number two, we're going to embrace the value of sacrifice. I've already alluded to it in my example. Everybody say sacrifice. Oh, there you go. You did it joyfully. If there's one common theme throughout Scripture, it's the sacrificial theme in Christianity. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He made the sacrifice, the brutal sacrifice for something he wanted even more, the joy set before him. There's a fresh definition of sacrifice I saw somewhere. Giving up something you love for something you love even more. You might love watching cable television, but you might want for the first time ever to have a debt-free Christmas. You do not want to be paying for those gifts in May of the following year. And so you give up your cable television for the year for something you want even more a debt-free Christmas. Or you may be in college and you like your alone time, but even more than that, you want to graduate without student loans. And so you take in two or three roommates, you sleep on the sofa, you do whatever it takes. You give up something you love for something you love even more, the getting out of school without student loan debts. You may love going to lunch every day and getting a seven or eight dollar sandwich and a dollar fifty drink, and before you know it, ten bucks is blown out the window. But you may love paying off your car even more. And so you're gonna brown bag your lunch, you know, so that you can get your car paid off. You give up something you love for something you love even more. It's the theme of sacrifice. And one of the problems in our culture today is that I think sometimes we ask the wrong questions. People are asking when they go to buy something, how much down and how much a month? Ouch. It sounds attractive, though. I saw the commercials last night, and I'm like, oh, it looks so attractive and enticing. Don't ask how much down and how much a month. Instead, ask how much is the real cost? How much is this going to cost over the months and months and months and months of payments? So we have to embrace the value of sacrifice. And the third value is this. The third value is embrace the value of planning. Now everybody say planning. 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 There we go. Jesus said it in Luke 14. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? And Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. So here is the deal. We can wander into debt. It's very easy to wander into debt. But we can't wander out of it. We have to plan our way to get out of it. Now, your plan may include not going out to dinner and the movies for the rest of 2020. That money that you save um, might help your plan. Or you might plan uh, to give up the Starbucks run or the fast food drive-through and, and just plan uh, grocery meals, that type of thing. You may need help with a plan. Well, have I got good news for you. In our groups, 
Saturday morning at 9.30, J.D. Van Allen hosts Financial Peace. If you are in that category where you really need some help, sign up for that. And make the sacrifice. Go on a Saturday at 9.30 and, and gain some um, knowledge and, and help on how to do it. I'm going to invite our team up as I share my final point. Romans 13.8, it says this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continual debt to love. That's the only debt that we should have, folks, the continual debt to love. So for 2020, embrace the values of self-control, of sacrifice, of planning, to gain success in climbing out of financial debt. We are going to confess our allegiance to our Jesus declaring that we serve our God as master and nothing else. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Amen?